The Start On Demand. On demand. What would you ban if you could ban something from the city of Winnipeg? Or if you want to look at it from a more positive context, what would you add to improve our city? The NFL is coming to Winnipeg. So we'll talk to former Winnipeg Blue Bomber great Doug Brown about the impending arrival of the National Football League in the River City. Do you wear a Fitbit? What does 10,000 steps really get you. And if you want, by the way, an event that will get you way more than 10,000 steps, we've got details on something really special happening this weekend in Winnipeg. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who spent part of the show at a Tim Hortons, so if he sounds a little different, that's why. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, June 5th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And at 6.45, we're going to ask the question, what would you ban in the city of Winnipeg? And I would like to ban, and I realize there's no way to do this, but I would like to ban cankerworms. Oh! Went for a walk yesterday. Yes. And it was covered. You were neck of the woods. Like, were you in uh, St. Boniface? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and every tree I walked under, they're in the, they're just tiny though. Like you couldn't even, sometimes you couldn't even see yeah. them. Yeah, and then they're suddenly drop. They're in your ha- like hair. It's yeah. the webs too, yeah. right? The- just covered in the webs, and I can see them hanging from the brim of my hat. <laughs> and I got home, and I said to my girlfriend, "If he's I might have cankerworms crawling on me," and she says, "Oh yeah, there's one in your collar." I'm like, ah, "Damn it!" <laughs> I'll never forget. It was a few years ago, and. We had this new reporter in at Global TV, and it was a hugely bad cankerworm season, and it became almost fun to like send her out, like you're on cankerworm duty today. Come on! And she'd be like near, you know, these people who are, just can't do bugs. Yeah. And I feel I feel yeah. bad about it now, but it was almost like you know, if you say you hate something, you're like, great, we're assigning you that story. Yeah, like, keep keep that quiet. <laughs> A couple of the kids uh, from the, my boys' school were walking on the street yesterday, and I pulled over and I said, girls, what are you doing? Canker worms, Mr. Mackling. We can't stand the canker worms. They've got their jackets up over their heads. Yeah. I said, well, you got to be careful. Not only are you walking on the street, but you're covering your eyes, basically. But they are a pain in the neck, and it feels as though they've shown up just like that. It's yeah. like the one time of year I live south of the city where there's no trees in our neighborhood and you're normally you, you lament that because it's like you're just baking in the hot sun or the wind is constantly blowing but for like a very small window of the year you're like sweet no trees. Yeah the canker worms are gross so at 645 we're going to have a conversation about what would you ban in the city of Winnipeg and we will tell you why so feel free to text us your suggestions at 204 780 and at 637 we're going to tee up the big announcement but but, uh, Greg, uh, you excited? Are you ready for some American football? I think I am. This is pretty cool, in my opinion. Maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe it's the P.T. Barnum sort of thing. There's a sucker born every minute. And I apologize for my voice. I have no idea where it went. It left me about an hour ago. It was sort of fading yesterday, mm-hmm. but uh, I apologize. You had a big party on Saturday night, a big shaker uh, at GMAC Town. Yeah, I was singing Foo Fighters at the top of my lungs at one point. Anyway. <laughs> Which um, song? I missed the song. Uh, I'll walk. It's always walk. Oh, okay. Um, 
This is something that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy if they decide to pay the money. There are unsubstantiated rumors. We'll find out today. Ticket prices. One rumor on Twitter last night was that it's going to average $200 a ticket. I don't see that. I could see it maybe averaging out in the 150 range. Uh, regardless, I think it's going to sell very well here in Winnipeg. We like big events. We do big events very well in this city. And week three of the NFL, that's typically when a lot of the starters play in the preseason. They don't play a lot in games one and two, but they do have to play at some point in the preseason in order to get their feet underneath them. Aaron Rodgers in Winnipeg, I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's going to be, what, the field, I guess, is going to look a lot different. Too, it right? is. So how? Like, only because I legitimately have watched two NFL okay, games so, in my life. So a Canadian football field between the goal lines is 110 yards. Okay. Uh, NFL is 100 yards. So they'll shorten the field. They have to shorten the field. The end zones in the NFL are only 10 yards yeah. each versus 20 yards. And the field's only 40 Yards wide in the NFL, 65 in the Canadian Football League, if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head. If you want to Google, uh, correct me or confirm me there, Brett, I'd appreciate it. So I think that's the thing that people will be most surprised by is how small the field is and how small it looks versus a Canadian Football League field. And so that that will be the biggest change. And then the fact that they're also... yards. 53 Apparently, yeah. Yeah, okay, 53 yards, okay. It's still uh, about 12 yards wi- um, less wide than a, a CFL field. So they're going to have to modify the goal, goal post arrangement somewhat, and then they're also moving, as I understand it, a Valor FC uh, game mm-hmm. that matched match mm-hmm. that was originally scheduled for that Thursday, they're August 22nd. going to have to ramp up the tailgating. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do an NFL, I know they do it at the Bombers, but they, you know, my one experience at an NFL game, I want to, which was where in Detroit, I want to see, I want to see, uh, I just want to see a lot of open trucks. And hot dogs. Yeah. I think it's too bad. About the hot just dogs. Want hot dogs. I just want a hot dog. You know that. Atta girl. Yeah. And it, Cameron Poitras in the newser made a great comment as well. Anybody coming up from the United States to check this game out is going to get here and wonder where's Uber. So absolutely, they are. I know we've got tap car and other ride sharing services. Oh, how would you know about that? Have you had people visit? Like every time my sister comes here, she'll say, "Don't worry, I'll just get an Uber to your place." And no, like, you no, you won't. <laughs> yeah, it's it just feels you feel. Oh, we don't have Uber here. I mean, we have other yeah, things, but then she's like, "What what app am I downloading for this?" And you it's know. called Taxi Cab. <laughs> yeah, tap car. <laughs> Yeah, you can still get a cab. I like I like getting a cab. Always find that that's the easiest for me. Uh, so we'll talk more about that at six thirty-seven. And what's this about dodgeball? Well, this is a headline Greg came across, and I'm I'm so conflicted on this because the more I read, the more I think, huh, they're oh, making a really good for the point. Propaganda. But the the headline in the National Post basically is saying that dodgeball is the form of oppression and that maybe it's time to start reconsidering all these childhood games that we've been playing for years because of how they just stop and think about it for a second, how you're in the gym. First of all, the teams are picked. It's usually, you know, you go for the strongest, fastest quickets. So someone's left out, which is life. I understand that. There's also maybe life lessons there, but more just it's about hurling and demeaning and, and getting people out. And so there's a whole group of academics that are saying like, maybe we should ban Dodgeball. Let's ban Red Rover too. 
because if you're not big enough, strong enough, fast enough, you'll never break through Red the Rover, link of I anyone's should... arms. And if you're not big enough, strong enough, you'll never stop anyone from breaking through that the arms. That game terrified that, me. You cannot play that game anymore. I, I Come on. That game was terrifying because of the clothesline you'd get. Like you'd just go running hard, <laughs> and then you would severely oh. underestimate the height of the person yeah. you were trying to break through, and Great you'd be like game. down on the ground. Do they still play that? I don't know. I completely forgot about Red Rover. Yeah, yeah I haven't should. seen my kids play that. They play British Bulldog, which is another one. This group of academics talks about like well that's a version of dodgeball isn't yeah, it pretty much yeah yeah we used to play something called mash which was essentially a version of dodgeball or medic i think we called it in junior high we <laughs> called it medic okay so probably the same probably game. the same thing when you got hurt when you got out with the ball someone would come could come as long as they could get you they could get you back in the game right yeah they, they, Similar. They, were, the, the, they were the doctor they were the only person that could bring you back right, right. from the game but if the doctor was out uh, then your team was. <laughs> well, that's, I don't remember screwed. that. Mr. Like Tanner games... at River Heights School, we would play medic, and Mr. Tanner had a great British accent, and the way he <laughs> would say it, medic, it was fantastic. <laughs> I need a medic. <laughs> that is, you would feel authentic. I think most games now that the kids play are what you played when you were little. They just have different names. Like in our front yard, we have we had about fifteen kids running around the other day, and I'm like, "What are you playing?" And it was they said man tracker, and I was like, "Well, what's the point?" And they're like, "Well, someone's it, right?" And then we chase them, and you have to track them down. I was like, "So you're playing tag?" Uh, no, it's called man tracker. And I was like, "Okay, well, we're playing tag. Like that's what that's called." At uh, the boys' school, I think they call it man hunt. Okay, but it's tag, right? Sure. Yes, and kids don't know how to play hide and go seek anymore either. They don't play where you have to like like, like race when you the get home free, right? Home free, yeah, home they, free. Just in the backyard the other day, they had the neighbors over, and I, and I was like, "Are you playing uh, hide and seek?" And I, I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, you got to chase them till he gets home." And they, I, I ruined home everything, free, and then I got all mad, and everyone's fighting about these rules <laughs> of hide and seek. I really sucked the fun out of that one. Greg is at Tim Hortons at 3649 Portage Avenue. And as we know, of the three of us, Mm -hmm. McNabb, you're pretty good with the sportsings. And I do like football. I have to honestly say on this one, though, I don't watch a lot of NFL football, although I am excited. Like, I, if I can afford it, I'll, we'll, we'll try to get to the game that's coming in August. But I'm, I'm not a huge NFL fan. I'm a big CFL fan. So why don't we let Greg Mackling set this one up? <laughs> the former host of Sports Sunday, now hosted by Cam Poitras. And Greg is also the host of the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. And uh, he does the halftime show. So I'd say you're pretty good at the sports things, Greg. Thank you, Brett McGarry. I appreciate that. Uh, our next guest is a little bit better at the sports things. He played 10 years for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from t- 2001 and 2011. Of course, he's an analyst on the Bomber broadcast, and the highlight of his career right now is as co-host of the Blue Bomber <laughs> podcast with me. But Doug Brown also played in the National Football League, and Doug, you're not usually a, a hype machine for anything, uh, you'll tell us how you see it. Is this a big deal, this preseason game coming to Winnipeg? Um, I think if you like, you know, if you like the Green Bay Packers, then it is probably, out of all the preseason games that you can get in the NFL, it is certainly uh, probably the only one where you're going to get to see the starters actually get significant playing time on the football field. So if you're a big fan of, of the Packers or the Raiders and, uh, you know, you've been dying to see uh, some of the starters play in a, a local scene and environment and you're willing to pay a lot of money to see a, a quarter or so of that action, then 
this is probably a, a good game for you. But it's interesting to note, I mean, there's been plenty of, uh, of NFL preseason games and even regular season games that have come to Canada. And I believe to this date, not a single one has ever sold out. So it'll be interesting to see how this is received in Winnipeg. You mentioned the fact that this is the one to get. We've heard that week three is typically where the starters will get a little bit of a taste. Has it always been that way, Doug? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the NFL coaches don't want them playing in the last preseason game because it's too close to the regular season, but they definitely want their starters to get a, a taste of action before that regular season commences. So uh, preseason game number one and two, they usually build them up. You go from maybe a couple series in preseason game number one to maybe a quarter in preseason game number two, and then at most that you will see the starters play in the third preseason game is usually about a half. Sometimes coaches like to see their starting group come out in the second half and play one series just so they can get used to that, but it really depends on uh, on the system in which coaching staff is running the show. Doug, does bringing the NFL to Winnipeg, does it in any way devalue the Canadian Football League? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think so. It's uh, They're very different games, and... Uh, I'll tell you this, a lot of the players you will see in the preseason game of the Green Bay and, uh, and, and, and Raiders game, you'll see them in the CFL as well. So um, I don't think, like you said, it's, uh, you see some uh, megastars for sure. You see some guys that are, have, have uh, absolutely uh, mega million dollar deals and, and contracts and, and guys that are uh, very, very well known and icons of the game. But they're few and far between. The, the, the regular players, if you're not one of those mega superstars in the NFL, uh, the regular soldier players of, of the NFL and CFL are, are, are quite comparable, actually. So I, I don't, I'm not really concerned about you know, how it shows or how it lines up or compares to the CFL when it's here. Loren, you, I think it was you that mentioned uh, the size of the field, and I think a lot of folks saw... The Jets and Oilers play in the Heritage Classic a few years ago at IGF. I think a lot of folks that go to this game will be shocked at the size difference between the Canadian football field and the American football field. Yeah, I think I think in the NFL, uh, the, the players that are coming up here are going to wonder. They're going to be blown away. Obviously, the, the, the field is going to be drawn up differently for the National Football League, but... There's going to be a lot of excess space and turf, and I'm not sure. Oh, did we just lose? Did you just lose Greg? No, you're still there, Doug. We thought we lost you. No, no, I'm still here. But, yeah, it's something to be an eye-opener for uh, players that play exclusively American football or NFL football coming up and seeing just exactly the the dimensions of the CFL field. It's it's quite a difference uh, compared to their game. And uh, all the rule changes and stuff. It'll be a, a little bit of a, like I say, they're not going to be playing CFL rules, but just being exposed to a, a top-rate CFL stadium. And it'll be interesting to see, really, the response from the fans. That's what I'm most interested about. And what do you mean by that in the sense of just whether they like it or don't like it in the end? Because some are obviously super familiar with uh, going down south and seeing some games. And for money, it will be their first time seeing an NFL game in person. Yeah, it's just to me, it's, it's whether there's interest or not for uh, to see a preseason game where you might see starters for a quarter or two quarters at, at most and whether that's worth a couple hundred dollars or more 
to get that opportunity. That is what I'm curious about, whether that appetite is there or not, because, like I said, it's not regular season football. There is no consequence for a win or a loss. These are tune-up games for the National Football League, and it is a lot of money. I mean, we're talking you can almost buy season tickets, uh, depending on where your seats are, for the cost of uh, probably two very good seats to an NFL preseason game. So uh, you really have to be a fan and you really have to be curious and you really have to want to see some of these superstars like Aaron Rodgers and uh, Antonio Brown, so on and so forth, to, uh, to shell out that kind of money. Doug Brown joining us live on 680 CJOB. He is the analyst of the Blue Bomber football games. He is co-host of the Blue Bomber podcast with Greg Backling. Thank you very much, Doug, for joining us. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Poitras is here. Tristan Field-Jones is here. Hal Anderson pitched this our way. What's the one thing in your city that you'd consider banning? City planner Brent Tedarian, who used to be the chief planner for Vancouver, tweeted this question on Sunday. If you had the power to ban just one thing from cities in order to make them much better, other than cars, too easy, what would that thing be? So we got a bunch of replies, but before we read some of those replies, we thought we would put it to our panel here. Loren McNabb, why don't we start with you? Because you've got, you've got the Basset Hound on the judging porch. <laughs> the, the, I don't know if I can explain this. I would ban drivers from not using the lane that's closing in a construction situation. So if you're like, yes. you know, I, I'm a big fan of the zipper merge, mm-hmm. and I hate how Winnipeggers are so against using that extra, like, you know, the lane's going to be closed. You know it's in 500 meters, but if you're the one that goes right up to the barricade and then tries to back back into that line, you just, people like, will go out of their way to block you. So I would ban just the bad manners of that. So I want like to reignite the zipper merge, so which who, is not really a ban. Or so who who's the one with the bad manners? The person the in that lane? Lane you in? No, it's faster if you use that lane. And if if you had two lanes of traffic going right up to the barricade, and then you weave people in and out, like a zillion studies have shown, it speeds up traffic. Oh, but that- for some reason here, we're all against letting that. Like we get mad when so they give a long a kilometer exactly. long line of people refusing to use that extra lane until the, it's that lane's closed. Do you understand what it, I'm saying? I know, I know yeah. what you're saying. You line up for six kilometers on one lane instead of it going faster. If you if you set you up two use lanes, all the space and you people have, people will block you out. It is it, people are like infuriated if they think they think you're some sort of line skipper. Or but something yes. that's like because that. there are legion line skippers out there. There are people sure. who will, I, and I see them. They're behind me, but they're they cheating. Like a, and a boulevard, they, or so. they're cheating because they're using the what's not a lane sometimes, right? Like they'll 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 pull in. Like I'm not really turning right now. I'm going to duck back into the oh, yeah. center lane. I'm just talking in all construction situations when we get so frustrated in construction, use that lane. Yeah. Stop banning the driver who's trying to use that lane. So we should encourage the zipper merge. Just then. Yes. get on board. Okay, I love that 100%. zipper merge. Thank you. Get Fortress. on board. Uh, well, yeah, I would definitely do say that one. But uh, people in big trucks who drive aggressively and they drive a, a big truck, a big Ford F three fifty, just so they can muscle themselves uh, around the road. That absolutely drives me up the wall. It's uh, I cannot stand that. Um, you know, and they the and people who uh, accelerate and then slow down. 200 meters ahead and they have to stop at a red light and don't advance whatsoever so that drives me that drives me. people with in big trucks who muscle their way around the road drives me crazy so Or-J? i would get rid of them i'm gonna say less red lights or less lights you know it's mm-hmm. uh, get some more merge lanes going or uh roundabouts or something yeah especially red lights at five o'clock in the morning when nobody else is around 
drives me nuts. Tristan? Uh, I would ban people who drive uh, less than, or I should say more than 10 kilometers below the speed <laughs> limit on a nice clear day for no apparent reason unless your flashers are on. Okay. So slow drivers. Yeah, essentially. Like, yeah. I, I know that they, we always hear the campaigns of just slow down, and which I think are, are great campaigns for people who are, have lead foots. But the fact of the matter is I would argue that I think slow drivers can be just as dangerous as fast drivers. Well, and I, I would understand that coming from Tristan because he's a very aggressive driver. Is he? Yes. No, I'm not an aggressive driver. Yes, what happens yes, is you are. I've driven no, Brett. No, no, no. I drove Brett driver. once and I did a lane change and Brett was like, no, that was a really aggressive lane change. That's what I feel. I've been in the car with Tristan multiple times and he is a, he is a last second breaker. He I'm likes, not a last yeah, second you, breaker. You have a lead foot. You're a scary driver. Yeah, and yet every Greg time Mackling, like, Tristan, oh, can you hey, please give me I'm a I'm just going to turn the mm. microphone off now for Tristan. <laughs> Mackling, are you there, Mackling? I'm here. I was just hoping you guys would keep going back and forth on this. I was enjoying that very much. <laughs> what, what would you ban? I would ban people that, you, we've used the word merge three times, that don't know how to merge, and I don't know which technology would implement maybe some sort of gigantic chasm in the road that would open up and swallow up people who are sitting where they should be merging or a giant crane oh, that would just come yes. and grab you and throw you off the road. <laughs> <laughs> but you the deal with it. You figure out how to do it. But we got to get rid of people that don't understand the mergers. Only 14 places in Winnipeg where you can actually merge successfully anyway learn how to do it please. Mm -hmm. well and could that is that the reason why we don't do it properly is because there are so few spots to do it I, th there there may be something to do that but it's no yeah. excuse yeah you should learn that in driver's ed well and part <laughs> of it too is that we don't have proper merge lanes either like look at the interchange between route 90 and portage avenue how can you merge properly when the ramp goes right into oncoming that traffic that one is so dangerous that one is I dangerous i can't tell you how many times i've pulled up there and someone's honking behind you and you're like well no this is not you know, a I merge can't... situation i will exactly. die if so, i pull out into route 90 yeah right so now. part of it is that our infrastructure isn't designed for proper merging in the is first that, place is that a merge and not a yield it doesn't say yield there i don't think does it? But I think it does say oh. yield, but it's designed like an interchange, and there you should have proper merge lanes. So There's that's no part of the lane. problem. And if you're not used exactly. to the problem, is people get aggressive behind you if they don't know. They're like, why is this person not pulling into the freeway, so to speak? Yeah. And it's not a freeway. Like no. It's just boom, right into oncoming traffic. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg Mackling is at Tim Hortons at 3649 Portage Avenue. For Camp Day, 100% of proceeds from coffee sold in Canada and the United States will go towards helping disadvantaged kids through, you mentioned earlier, he wanted to go to camp but his parents couldn't afford him, couldn't afford to send him. Well, this day is going to help people like Greg when he was in that situation and we'll hear from him more throughout the morning here on 680 CJOB and... In a moment, we're going to talk about dodgeball, but we just want to thank everybody for the feedback so far mm -hmm. on all the, the, the banning. What would you ban either? What would you ban in the city of Winnipeg or what would you add to make it better? And here's an interesting sort of contrast, Loren, because we had one person, Yuri, say, get rid of the bike lanes. Mm -hmm. Totally useless, especially when Winnipeg is snowbound at least half of the year and they are not safe. And then another person says, I would add designated bicycle lanes. We are one of the few cities that does not have them all over the place. They're working on it. 
at least downtown has changed dramatically in but the last year. I think the point, I think, is that it's so sporadic, and we're going to actually talk about cycling in our next segment, because there was a cyclist who was uh, struck and killed yesterday at Maine and Higgins, and there's lots of people calling for a review of that intersection amongst others, and where can we do better? The cycling's a big one that people have suggested. That's come up a few times. Plastic bags was a good one that I liked. Um, there's other cities across North America that have banned plastic bags, and every time I get one, I try hard not to take them at the stores, yep. but every time I get them, I come home and I shove them in my little container that it's just overflowing with plastic plastic bags i think oh i've got to do better right so if they just didn't have them you i have had, to come up with something else i had a kitchen closet in my apartment that was essentially from floor to, like i had cleaning supplies in there sort of up yeah. against the wall but otherwise it was almost floor to ceiling at one point full <laughs> of plastic bags because i would just use them as my garbage bags right so that's how i reuse those bags is for garbage bags now i just hang on to them for cat litter bags mm-hmm. and you can uh, return them to the grocery stores i think and then they'll recycle them and repurpose them. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I had I someone, that... I think at Sobeys, tell me that the other day because I was like, oh, no, I won't take them. I've got too many. And then she said, you know, you can bring them back here. So I thought that was cool. I didn't know you could do that. So keep those suggestions coming in. You can text us 204-780-6868. We've also put a post up on Facebook that's uh, getting some fiery conversation there on Twitter and on Instagram. We've asked a question there on our story. Greg Mackling joins us once again from Tim Hortons and, uh, well, before we bring Greg in here, Loren, why don't you set up dodgeball? Well, we're talking about he's at Tim Hortons because it's about child's play and getting kids to go to camp, which is an important thing. And then across the country on the West Coast, a whole other conversation is happening about child play, specifically the games we played as kids. So like Tag or British Bulldog or Red Rover, they're those childhood staples that I think most of us uh, played in school. Well, some academics gathering in Vancouver this week are debating whether or not it's time to say goodbye to some of those games. And specifically, they've got their eyes on dodgeball. Thanks, Patches. I can't wait to start my own team at school. boy, Tiger. But remember, dodgeball is a sport of violence, exclusion, and degradation. So, when you're picking players in gym class, remember to pick the bigger, stronger kids for your team. That way, you can all gang up on the weaker ones, like Winston here. And we are laughing, right? I mean, that that movie is so outrageous and tongue-in-cheek, and it's supposed to be funny. But the theory, and again, this is a theory, so before everyone gets angry, is that there are some truths to it. And there's this group with the Canadian Society for the Study of Education that think it's time to ban dodgeball. The headline at the National Post is, quote, Dodgeball isn't just problematic, it's unethical, tool of impression. And they're pointing to what they call the hidden curriculum, which is to pick the strongest, the most agile, and then marginalize the weak. Greg, you're the one that first spotted this headline. Is it time to say goodbye to dodgeball? No. I say you amplify it. I say you play it every single day in gym. No. You know what? Dodgeball, how different is it than any other sport? I'm looking at this. Remember to pick the bigger, stronger kids for your team. No kidding. If you have captains for any team, I dare you, or I challenge you, dare is a pretty strong word, I challenge you to come up with any sport where if you're picking teams and you're the captain, that that's not your criterion from start to finish. Whoever's left, you're going to pick the biggest person who's left, the strongest person that's left, if you are picking a team for any sport in phys ed. 
Yeah, I I come at this. I honestly, I when I first heard this, I thought this is insane. But I will admit that because we've been talking for well over a decade that we're bubbling our children, sure, and that they're gonna they're gonna learn the hard way that life sometimes sucks, and we're gonna see these kids grow up to be these sort of bumbling fools who have no idea how to navigate the real world. But whenever we get young people come into our station now, I see these kids who are just beaming with confidence and they're all well adjusted they're smart and they they handle failure mm-hmm. with a plume and they're tackling things that I was way too scared to deal with when I first started here because I because of the many failures I'd experienced so it's almost maybe because I, I, of dodgeball well <laughs> maybe, I, I, yeah I, I liked dodgeball I was I was middling. I feel like you would have been good at it I was okay at dodgeball but so when my, I first thought when we started treating kids with all these sort of kid gloves that they'd be useless and turn Turns out the reverse. So when I see research like this, I, I kind of stop and think, "Oh, should I give at least give this a second thought before I dismiss it?" Yeah, I was like, the- I feel the same because one of the authors uh, behind the study that's talking about it in Vancouver this week says it's there. We've created games that are what they call a cruel initiation ceremony into a brutal world, and they don't necessarily reflect reality. I mean, I'm not going to walk out of the studio today. I don't think. And have my boss hammer me with like a medicine ball as I like try to walk. You know, that was a terrible segment this morning. Now, boom, I'm out. Like that's not the world you're living in. It's a game, and it's just a game. And for the most part, maybe I'm wrong. Like you, sometimes you targeted certain people, I suppose, but it was really about just getting everybody out. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just going. You weren't just attacking one person. But this isn't. Why is everything? Why do we take everything so literally? It's metaphoric for life, and it, you you don't even have phys ed every single day, which I think is a crime in itself. Kids should get gym class at least once a day. You're not playing dodgeball every single day. It's one aspect of physical activity, and we're talking about fostering these virtues of caring and inclusion. Like, do we have to do that in every single thing that we do? Because the world's just not like that. I understand that's like where we would like things to be, but I don't know how realistic it is. And I think sometimes you just need to understand that there there are other aspects in life. And I, I don't know. I just, it, I like my kids to be kind and generous, but you know what? I also need them to be a little bit tough because life is not easy. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, it's, phys ed, as you pointed out, Greg, they should have it every day just so that they can get some exercise. But it's physical education. And the point of the ed- education system is to help kids find what they're good at. Not every kid is going to be good at phys ed, phys ed but not every kid's going to be good at chemistry either. Mm-hmm. So exactly. you, you find you know what you're good at. You know what's happening a Bunsen burner at me if I suck in my chem- chemistry class. That would make chemistry way more fun, though. Dangerous. If you, if you turn those Bunsen burners on their side and, <laughs> and use them like flame like- for Throws? Yeah, like a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> we have gone down a road. Let us know what you think. Should dodgeball be banned? 204-780-6868. Because I'm sure that for some, I have great memories of games like dodgeball or MASH, or as you called it, Greg, medic, whatever the gym, <laughs> gym, gym teacher would say. All right, we're playing MASH. Everyone would be excited, but that's what it seemed like. I'm sure there were some of my classmates who sure. hated it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but you I hated hit, history too. Right, so, and I hated know. baseball, but that's largely because I would hit the ball, and I'm a lefty, 
and would just chase the ball down the first baseline. Like, I'd be running after my own hit. Really? And I'd be like, ah, clearly I'm out here. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Every time. And I hated it. But that doesn't mean you don't play. And Bad baseball. Ban baseball ban- because McNabb was always out at first. Exactly. Thank you. Give me a break. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. Mackling is at Tim Hortons, 3649 Portage Avenue for Camp Day. And before we ask the question about 10,000 steps, we have stuff to give away. We have two gate admissions and a parking pass for the Red River X happening June 14th to the 23rd. Let's keep this simple. Caller number four at 204-780-6868 is going to win those passes. 204-780-6868. And McNabb, we're talking about going for a walk. Yeah, and the question that you hear so many, you can overhear this. I've heard it in the elevator about, like, got to hit my steps today, right? And the target for many people is that 10,000 magic number and a growing number of people wearing the fitness trackers to tell them if they're getting closer to that goal. But the question we had this morning is, what's actually the science behind it? Does 10,000 steps actually get you anywhere, or is there a lower or a higher number you need to hit? That's something Iman Lee, who is a professor of medicine and epidemiology at Harvard University, has looked into. She joins us on the phone now. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for being with us. You know, and so many people are using these fitness trackers these days, and we really wanted to get the bottom of that number. So 10,000, is it really as good as it's being made to sound? Well, that's a great question because that was actually how I started the study. Many of my colleagues at work also wear these fitness trackers and they have a hard time reaching the 10,000. So we started looking at the background of the 10,000 and it turns out that this 10,000 number originated in 1965 in Japan. There was a company that was making pedometers and they called their pedometer Manpoke as a trade name. In Japanese, it simply means the 10,000 step meter. So that was the basis of the 10,000 and we did our research, we put uh, research grade wearables on these women, had them wear it for a week, and we followed them up for death rates. And what we found was pretty striking that women who got on average 4,400 steps a day had lower rates of death during the study than women who took 2,700 steps a day. So at a very modest level, your death rate started going down. The more you did, the lower the death rates became, but it sort of tapered off around 7,500 steps, meaning at very low levels, you started to see the benefit and you really didn't need to get to 10,000 to get the maximum benefit. So I think that's such encouraging news for people who are not very active. Now, for those of you who are very active then who are hitting your 10,000 steps, don't scream at me. If you get 10,000 steps, more power to you. So is 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 10,000 the mark that we should be aiming for then regardless of our fitness level? No, I think it depends on the individual. For people who are very inactive, I'd say strive for something a little bit modest so that you can do it. Do an extra 2,000 steps a day. For those who are more active, do even more. If you can reach the 10,000 steps, great. And as I said, we looked only at death rates in these women. We're continuing to study them. And of course, whether you die or whether you live is not the only mark of health. Things like quality of life, your function, your cognitive function, do they improve? Do they get, continue to get better at higher levels? And we will find that out. Professor Lee, is the message here, obviously more than whatever you're doing now is better. If you're doing 3,000, try and do 5,000. If you're doing 7,000, try and do 10,000. Absolutely. And the 
good news about it is that you don't need to do it as part of an intentional exercise walk. In these women, there were steps that they accumulated throughout the day. So whatever you did, so things like, you know, go to the garden, walk around a bit. When you park your car, park a little bit further. Just accumulate those steps. We know uh, Professor Lee, uh, just for our audience, if they're just joining us, we're talking to Eamon Lee, who's with Harvard University and has looked into this whole 10,000 step uh, goal that people seem to be striving for daily. Uh, Do we know then, you know, there's conflicting reports on getting your heart rate up. And if I'm just hitting that 10,000 step mark, but I might never get my heart rate going. Is there concern there that it's not as beneficial to just heart health than maybe doing short sprints once in a while? Uh, no, it doesn't matter. Our research now has indicated that sort of you do what it is that you want to do. It will be helpful for your health. Now, fitness is a different measure. If you're an athlete or you want to perform well or you want to you know, be a good runner or play tennis well or swim faster, then you need to intentionally train and get your heart rate up. But for health itself, it doesn't matter. It's the total amount of activity that you do, whether you do it over a longer period at a slower pace or a shorter period at a faster pace. If I'm completely inactive, where should I start? How many steps should I be looking to add? Uh, let's say, I mean, on average, we're still, we're walking probably uh, about 2,000 steps a day, but if I want to add to that, but I don't want to push it, where do I start? I would say aim for 2,000. 2,000 is really very, very modest. Uh, let me be clear, 2,000 more. It really is very, very modest because you're right. If you do nothing other than, you know, drive to work, uh, get yourself dressed, feed yourself, you'll probably get about 2,500 steps a day. So to get an additional 2,000, it's just moving around a little bit more. It really is very doable. Professor Lee, do you see these digital fitness overlords as a good thing overall for our health? <laughs> That's a great question. I think, again, it depends on who you are. Now, some of you would have gotten these as gifts from your friends, your kids, your family, and some of you will wear these wearables and keep them on forever. But for other people, you wear it for a week because you're obligated, someone gave it to you, and then it sits in the drawer. <laughs> so for the people who don't use it, it's not going to be very helpful, but then that's fine. You know, we can't, you're not going to do something if you're forced to do it. Just do what you would naturally want to do. So for the people who want to wear it and want to count their steps, great. For the people who don't, then think about your activity in terms of minutes and try to get the recommended 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity physical activity, such as walking. I will admit to having two Fitbits uh, in a drawer somewhere in Winnipeg, and I wear them once in a while, and I do enjoy the Target. But what's been kind of cool in our house is that our kids are increasingly getting into this idea. Someone along the way somewhere said to them in a gym class that the more they walk, the better they're going to be. And so I'm curious if at least for the next generation, this might be something that just becomes more of a Target daily, regardless of having that device or not. Yes, and your phones track your steps as well. So many people also count their steps on their phone. And these uh, apps allow you to friend people. So one of the good things is that you can have a competitive group going. And I share my steps with my sister. I hate it when she does more steps than me. (laughs) So that might be an incentive. I'm in Leah, professor of medicine and epidemiology at Harvard University, joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about getting 10,000 steps. I'm in Lee. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. My pleasure.
And I know that for me, I love going for walks, uh, McNabb. Uh, you should get one because you'd be probably shocked at the steps you're doing. Well, I, I can count this. She, as she mentioned, I can count the steps on my phone. Uh, but I know that it, it but a, a Fitbit would probably be more accurate. But it's not just the physical benefit. It's the mental wellness as well. If you can get into a nice neighborhood and you're surrounded by beauty on a nice day like mm-hmm. it is right now, if I could just skip out of here and go for a walk, I'd be very happy. But when I, if I'm just down or blah, like if it's been a couple of days where all I've been doing is working. Sometimes I'll get home and think, I really want to nap, but no, I'm going to go push myself and take a walk. And within 20 minutes, I feel better. I was just the other day at a greenhouse and spent an extra hour in there, largely just because I was walking around with all these pretty things around me. And so you make a good point. If you have someplace nice to even go or do a lap, I don't know if you ever do laps, but like like, kind of just do a circuit. It feels much better. The 75th anniversary of D-Day, which of course is the Allied invasion of Nazi-occupied France, which spelled the beginning of the end of the Second World War. Jeff Semple explains just how they did it. James Stocky Edwards has never forgotten his 23rd birthday. It was June 5th, 1944, and the Saskatchewan native was a fighter pilot stationed in the United Kingdom. And he remembers his commanders calling him in for a secret briefing. And he told us, tomorrow's the day. Uh, it was a very serious moment. It's something that we had been waiting for for years, and always our chance. We had to get onto the continent to end the war. The following day, Edwards and the Allies would change the course of history. Operation Overlord, or D-Day as it's now better known, was the largest seaborne invasion ever attempted. It involved around 50,000 vehicles, 11,000 aircraft, 5,000 ships, and 150,000 Allied troops. Of those, 14,000 were Canadians, all of whom had volunteered to fight, including Hugh Buckley, who served with the Sherbrooke Fusiliers. World War II was really uh, an attack on evil. I mean, absolutely. Morally, it that's why it was a success. People were prepared to make the sacrifice. Despite the invasion's unprecedented size and scope, victory was far from certain. Mike Betchold is a Canadian military historian. It was estimated by some planners that they could suffer as high as 75% losses um, in making their attack. Their main cause for concern was the Nazis' so-called Atlantic Wall arguably the greatest military fortification ever built. A sprawling network of defensive positions, millions of mines, and thousands of bunkers stretching more than 5,000 kilometers along the coastline from France to Norway. And the Atlantic Wall defenses were probably most formidable on the coast of France, and in particular, the port of Calais. That was the narrowest part of the English Channel, just 30 kilometers separating Britain from Nazi-occupied territory. And Hitler was certain that this was where the Allies would strike. His misbelief was fueled in part by the Allies' so-called Ghost Army, an Oscar-worthy collection of fake inflatable tanks, phony army camps, and airfields, combined with bogus radio traffic. The Allies based their Ghost Army just across from the French port of Calais to trick the Nazis into thinking that Calais was indeed the target. But in truth... The Allies had other plans. 
the Canadians, the British, and Americans would storm the beaches of Normandy, an 80-kilometer front, using code names Omaha and Utah for the Americans, Gold and Sword for the British, and for the Canadians, Juneau Beach. dawn, the warships moved in with the big guns, bombing the beaches, hoping to rip through the Atlantic Wall. After a couple of hours, the firing ended, and the landing craft, packed with thousands of soldiers, headed for the beach. Jim Parks was 19 years old and serving with the Royal Winnipeg Rifles when he landed on Juneau Beach. Your world is about 10 yards, eh? That's your world. That's all, that's what you're looking at. And... Uh, all you could see was uh, everybody scrambling for themselves and everybody's, everybody's doing what they're supposed to going forward. Buckley, the Canadian fighter pilot, attacked from the sky. And there was so much firing going on and the Navy and there were ships to the horizon, you know, and you thought nothing could stop this. And he was right. In a matter of hours, the mighty Atlantic Wall was breached. Within days, the British, Americans, and Canadians had secured their beachheads, through which more than a million fresh troops would soon pour into France. There's no question it was a, uh, it was a, a turning point historically. But that victory came at a great cost. By the time the sun set on D-Day, more than 10,000 Allied troops were killed or injured, including 1,074 Canadians. The Allies were back in Western Europe and had changed the course of the war, but there were still 11 more terrible months left to fight. Jeff Semple, Global News Radio. Greg Mackling at Tim Hortons, 3649 Portage Avenue. What say you? Well, I think so many of us connect Tim Hortons as pure Canadiana, but I can say from my point of view, there is nothing more Canadian than the sacrifices that were made 75 years ago in Dieppe. Nothing more Canadian than those boys who became men in a matter of hours and nothing that we get to do in this world in Canada is possible without what happened 75 years ago. I cannot say enough and express enough appreciation and thought that goes out on this anniversary uh, approaching tomorrow. Greg Mackling is going to come back now from Tim Hortons. We'll hear more from Kayla Shea at Tim Hortons on Dougald Road. And again, Camp Day, 100% of proceeds from all coffee purchases in Canada and the United States at Tim Hortons will support Tim Hortons Foundation camps helping disadvantages, disadvantaged kids achieve their potential. We want to tell you about the Challenge for Life Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation hosting this awesome event and in studio with us we have Jane Kid Hancher who is Director of Marketing and Communications for Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. Thank you for having me today. The Challenge for Life. Yes. So this is one where you might see, have you started putting the signs up yet? No, I don't think quite yet, within the next day or so. Where does the Challenge for Life begin? 
It begins at Assiniboine Park and it takes you all the way to Memorial Park downtown wow. and then back. So you go and th- back and back. That's only the halfway part. You go through some of Winnipeg's most historic neighborhoods, you know, Wolseley, River Heights. It's a beautiful walk. And in addition to the 20K, some people will also work out for 200 minutes. They do both? No. Oh, okay. you, you choose <laughs> one. So while people are walking for their few hours, another group of people are working out under a tent, under the big top, so to speak, in Assiniboine Park with a whole bunch of different instructors and kinds of exercise. That's something we added a few years ago and it's become quite popular. Do you have to do the full 20K? You really try to, yes. I mean, we we help people if they can't quite get off the route, but I don't know too many people who certainly don't finish it. We call it a challenge for a couple of reasons. It's a challenge to, you know, increase your activity level, which is one of the ways where you can reduce your own risk of getting cancer. And the biggest part of the challenge is it's all about fundraising in this province for people uh, living with cancer today and those who will be diagnosed in the future. I'm looking on your website now at cancercarefoundation.mb.ca, which yes. has the link, of course, to the Challenge for Life. There's some crazy numbers people are there raising. Are. This is an event that we really truly call it our hallmark event of the year. Um, if you put in perspective, on average, every year we grant, because of the generosity of Manitobans, about six and a half to $7 million to Cancer Care Manitoba. And this event, after all of the bills have been paid, typically raises about a million dollars. So you can do the math. That's one sixth, one seventh of what we will be able to grant to Cancer Care Manitoba this year. And that is all because hundreds and hundreds of people have signed up. They're enthusiastic. And then they've gone to their friends and their family. It's a peer-to-peer well, fundraiser. some are raising tens of thousands of dollars as an individual. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of asks and people with big networks and people with, quite honestly, very personal reasons for participating who uh, need, you know, really, it's a, an emotionally a day for them. And they've got a big network of people who will help them and help cancer care in the process. Is there one specific area where the funds are diverted on an annual basis? Like this year, we're going to focus on this or this? Well, This event is uh, great for us because it fundraises for all cancers, as we describe it. So that means that all of the money that comes in can be directed wherever it needs to go in terms of the priorities of cancer care. And really, in a nutshell, uh, three main areas are funded by the foundation every year. Research, clinical trials, which bring tomorrow's treatments for cancer to Manitobans today and patient support programs. So that million dollars-ish will get dispersed, you know, amongst those different buckets pretty much. But it's great for us because we can just say all of this money is there and accessible and can go wherever it is needed the most, which is so, so important. Manitobans are super generous. I think it's yearly we talk about how we, you know, rank pretty high in Canada for being the most generous. And so I, I know everyone's willing to give, but it also... Because of that, there's dollars are going a lot of places. And so as charities or foundations, you have to fight in some respects to get the donors to come to you. Is is, is having that 20-kilometer walk a way to differentiate yourself from the different events that are, that are on out there? Because there's none like it. There's lots yeah. of 5K or 3K walks. And I'm not knocking them. They're great too. But just it's different for sure. I, I really truly think that when you think of Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation, this is what people really know us for. We're known for a lot of things, but we're known very well because of the challenge for life, because it is unique. It is truly a challenge. And I have done it now. This will be my fifth year walking it. And I just... It's an amazing feeling to be part of all of these hundreds of people who take off at the same time. And then you pass people along the route and you'll go, hey, you'll turn around. I know you. You know, you see people, You they wear bibs on their back that says who they're walking for. Lots of people are walking for themselves. They're walking for their children. They're walking for their parents. They're walking for their siblings. I mean, you tear up when you're going along. It's so powerful. And 
it's just the way that this community comes together is incredible every single year. And to think about that, $1 million is a lot of money and how many thousands of people that can help. Is there a minimum that you have to raise to be able to participate? Yes. For this particular event, we ask all participants needs to raise $500 to be able to participate. And for some people, that that is tough. And again, that's part of the challenge. And, you know, certainly from our website, you can see for other people that comes perhaps a little bit easier. But for every person, it's a task and it's something that they take really, really seriously. And we're so proud that they do that and honored that they take part in it. This oh. top fundraiser you have here, Doug Harvey, yeah. <laughs> uh, one person has raised $136,492. Yes. Is uh, Mr. Harvey a regular participant in this? Uh, Mr. Harvey is probably quite well known to lots of Manitobans. He is the owner of Maxim Truck and Trailer, and Mr. Harvey has participated every year in the Challenge for Life, and he is the chair of the board of the foundation. And I'm, I'm not saying anything out of turn, but Mr. Harvey has cancer, and he has had it for a few years, and he takes this so incredibly seriously and passionately and he has a network of people who love him dearly and every year for the past several years he has been our top fundraiser and last year that number by the time Saturday rolled around top $200,000 in terms of the support so I know that he will still be out there as is everybody else looking for support and you mentioned our website but we have a direct website for Challenge for Life so it's challengeforlife.ca very easy to remember and people can go there if you know somebody look for their name look for their team if you haven't made a pledge yet and you've been getting emails from them and this is the prompt to get you to do it please do it and if you don't know anybody just look at that list of names and look at the stories of why they're doing it and make a donation today and you'll help a lot a lot of people. Saturday morning at Assiniboine Park. So if you can't participate and you just find yourself making your way through Winnipeg and you see the walkers, you see the bright neon signs and you wonder what's going on, that's participants in the Challenge for Life for Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation. Thank you so much, Jane Kidhancher, for joining us live on CJOB. Thank you very much for having me. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Reminder that tonight is CJOB Night at the Races at Assiniboia Downs. We gave away all kinds of passes for that. We hope to see you all there. I'm going to be there. I'm excited to watch the horses. I haven't been down to the Downs for quite a while outside of their launch luncheon, right. which is always mm-hmm. spectacular. Food is so good there. Like, if mm. you have a chance ever to go to the True. Downs, go early or stay late. And, and always have the, is it the roast beef or is it ribeye? What is it? Yeah, prime beef rib? for prime rib. Yeah. Mm, yeah, very good. So that's tonight. We'll see you there. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. We were having a conversation earlier about what would you ban from Winnipeg, and we got all kinds of suggestions. We narrowed it down to four. We picked four. And so far, leading the pack, 42% speakerphone in public oh, at wow. cjob.com. <laughs> Next up, 35% That's plastic That's the highest? Bag. Sorry? The speakerphone? Yep. Love you made it. a compelling argument, Loren. <laughs> I was listening on the way back from Tim Hortons, and I'm like, yeah, damn right, Loren. I hate it. I used to hate it when I used to go out. And hang out in a lounge or something, and there'd be a, a man or, or a woman in the lounge. Yeah, good night, buddy. I hope you're having a good... And he's putting his kid to bed. It's like, I left my kids at home. To get away from the kids, I don't need to come and hang out with your kids at the lounge. Yeah, you it's know? ridiculous. So 42% speakerphone in public, 35% plastic bags, 19% bike lanes that aren't protected, 
And I suppose uh, an offshoot of that would be 4%. Right turns on red. You can cast your vote at cjob.com and weigh in. We put variations of that question on Twitter, on Instagram, and on our 680 CJOB Facebook. Mackling, you're hearing his voice back in studio. You were at Camp Day. You just wanted to say hello to somebody you bumped into there. Yeah, Kyla was one of the volunteers. Uh, They were cleaning windows, handing out a variety of prizes, and collecting more money on behalf of Tim Hortons and the very worthwhile cause of Camp Day, sending uh, kids to camp, disadvantaged youth in our country. And she says, Greg, my dad, my dad, Jim Thompson, listens to CJOB all the time. Oh, so we're saying good morning to Jim Thompson, a loyal listener from his daughter, Kyla, and us here at the start. So now we want to revisit, reintroduce you to somebody who we spoke to a few months back because Browse by G, local business here in Winnipeg, was on Dragon's Den. So we brought them on to tee up the fact that they were going to be appearing on Dragon's Den. And then again, after they were successful on Dragon's Den, I have since visited Browse by G a couple of times to get my, as Loren called it, to tame my Mm -hmm. eyebrows, which are otherwise out of control. And G's husband, Giovanna, her husband, Scott Russell, reached out to us to say, hey, I got a separate project here. It's a clean technology startup, Solar Skyrise. And they've just been accepted. Well, you know what? Let's let him tell us. Scott is on the line, joining us on 680 CJOB. Scott, welcome back, sir. Good morning. So you're the only Manitoba company to what? What did you achieve here? So we we were accepted. Our our clean tech startup was accepted into the Canadian Technology Accelerator. So there's only 13 companies across Canada that were accepted. And we were the only one from Manitoba. And at the same time, we were accepted into the Clean Technology Open, which is a U.S.-based program, uh, and there was only five Canadian companies accepted in that one in total. So we, we did both at the same time. What is Solar Skyrise? What do you do? Uh, so we, we, we work in the urban renewable space. Uh, so in a nutshell, what we do is we've created a technology to understand how much energy a building can produce from its vertical surfaces. So a little bit of the background is there is uh, there are new solar technologies that can be built right into the skin of a building. So think transparent windows, think panels that actually look good on the side of a building. Uh, that technology is rapidly improving. Uh, but what's been missing is the data to understand where are the best buildings, how do you do the best projects, you know, where is this going to be the most applicable? Uh, because buildings in our cities use about 40% of the energy and create about 40% of the emissions. So they are the low-hanging fruit. For, for making our, our cities more sustainable and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So normally your location, Scott, is a, is a liability. In this case, in this instance, if they partner up with you or work with you, you can make your physical location a profit center, a part of your revenue in your business. Essentially, yeah. Like our, our, uh, our, our thesis with the, with the company is that there is unmonetized space. Buildings are traditionally valued by their horizontal square footage. Uh, but there's an entire axis that could be monetized. It could be used to generate on-site power. It can be used to reduce emissions. Uh, that hasn't been looked at or understood as far as the, the value of it for, for solar energy production. So that, in essence, is what we're doing. We're, we're providing the data. We're not making panels. There's great companies out there that are evolving and, and innovating in that space. We're, we're providing the data to model and understand where the best projects are and when is the time to invest in them. Can you give me an example of that? Where you've applied that, or, or you know, if I have a say a building and there's a ba- you're about the basement space, or what are, what what might work there? Sure. So as an example, we we were also accepted into the, the Mars uh, Innovation uh, Mars Discovery District 
in Toronto, which is another clean tech accelerator program. And we model their buildings for them in downtown Toronto. So, for example, a few of their buildings had some great south-facing facades. Some had some that were north-facing that weren't as good. So we were able to identify, uh, you know, the, the best projects for their their portfolio buildings in downtown Toronto. So in certain cases, it was if you want to if you want a project that's investment ready uh, for solar and BIPV, look at this side of this building in this way. And here are some of the products that could work on it based on what the building's made out of. And, and here's the roadmap to, to getting that project done. Roadmap, such a great word. And uh, the idea of creating that roadmap to success, Scott, quite often people will have fantastic ideas. They'll have concepts that, that if they were brought to market would succeed or at least have a, a really good chance in succeeding. But in Canada now, we have all these different organizations that help folks with good ideas, take those ideas and make them marketable. Tell us about an accelerator and, and how it works. Sure. So there, we, have, we have a great example right here in Manitoba, which is North Forge. Uh, so we were a part of them as well. Um, these other accelerators are more clean tech focused. They're more, they're more specific to the, the sector that we're in. So the way they typically work is you apply for them. Uh, they're looking for companies that have a lot of potential that are still in an early stage like we are. Uh, and then what they do is they, they connect them based on what their needs are with a, a group or a pool of mentors. So in our case right now, we're building technology, we're scaling, we're starting to raise money. So connecting us with mentors who understand who have done that before, they typically culminate with some sort of um, some sort of competition where you can you can win money, but really the value in them is that is that you you know you create your pitch, you refine it, you test your ideas, you, you throw them against the wall with some really experienced mentors, and they tell you what's going to work and what isn't realistically. So that when you go to the market, you try to raise money and grow your company. You're doing that from you know a validated point. So so you're you're going with your eyes open. You're not going in you know having worked on an idea for three years, never gotten out to the market and tested it. So that's that's the value of accelerator. It does that really quickly. So there will be some ideas that don't work. There will be some ideas that do very well, but that's the purpose is to get there as quickly and as cheaply as you can. I'm looking at your advisory board right now, and uh, two names jump out at me, uh, Jeff Reisner and Stefan Menard, uh, two individuals who were budding and sprouting entrepreneurs just five or six years ago. Now they're helping others get to where they want to get. Totally, and and they're good friends of ours, and we've been really involved in, in the community with uh with those guys. So they were, they were happy to come on board and they have a ton of great experience to share. I mean, Bold Commerce is doing fabulous things in the city. Uh, Jeff was the former president of North Forge and now he's gone back into a, a clean tech or into a tech startup. So they are not just good friends, but they bring a wealth of experience. So we wanted to, we wanted our board to, to comprise some real estate experience, some energy experience and technical experience, and also some, some tech and some business scaling experience. So we have a, a fabulous advisory board. Scott, where do you find time for this? Because it was our <laughs> understanding that you were quite heavily involved in Browse by G, at least helping out on the business side of things. I, I, I was, and I, I still am to a certain degree. I mean, we have a, we have a great team at, at Browse by G. This was something that kind of I was working on in, in the, the background, and it started to, to take off. So, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's you know, not really time for sleep. It's just utter chaos most of the time, but it's a lot of fun. It's, you- uh, you know... <laughs> do you ever get to go out on dates with your wife or are the two of you just like trying to conquer the world? <laughs> no, we, we still, we still try to find time, but it's, you know, we don't have kids yet, so it's, uh, it's a little bit easier to do, but you know, it's, uh, we're, we're hitting that, we're hitting that saturation point for sure. 
Well, Scott Russell, hey, we congratulate you for this, and thank you for, for reaching out to us to tell us about this, because what the two of you are doing, your your entrepreneurial spirit and energy is, is uh, I think, inspirational. And uh, so kudos to you guys for doing what you do, and congrats on this uh, initiative for Solar Skyrise. Hey, thanks so much. It's uh, it's often entrepreneurship is not a, not as glorious or as, uh, as great as it sounds. It's a, it's a hard slog, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Scott Russell, solarskyrise.com is the website. Once again, the only Manitoba company accepted to the Canadian Technology Accelerator Clean Tech Program, one of only 13 companies in Canada selected in total. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.